Well, good morning, Jarheads. Glad you're here today. Uh, We are going to have a baptism class uh, right after uh, this celebration. And so um, if you've never been baptized, I guess my question is, why not? Like, why not? Well, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people haven't been baptized is because uh, they really believe that they have to have their act all together first and then they get baptized. But it's not about getting your act together first and then getting baptized. It's actually about giving your life to the one who can put it all back together and to send it in a direction that is much greater and farther uh, than you could ever do on your own. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Plus, Christmas is a time for new beginnings, new life, a clean slate, start it all fresh uh, that you're connected to God. So I uh, really want to encourage you to come. I'll be teaching the class. Uh, child care, lunch is provided. We'll be done by 1.15. So many of you can go and, uh, you know, watch the Colts and Steelers tonight. And if you're a Steelers fan, well, the two of you that are here, uh, let's remove them now um, before we go any further. Uh, I'll just stop there before I get in trouble. Uh, Anyways, but this Christmas, you could do it. So don't, why wait? Just do it now. Well, let's uh, pray and then we'll jump uh, right into the teaching. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I pray that there would be many people um, who choose baptism this Christmas. I pray that they might consider it today. That through your Holy Spirit, God, that you might move in them and that you would... Allow them to discern if this Christmas is a time for a new change, a a new beginning, a fresh start uh, for their life. And Heavenly Father, I just ask now that you who are a good father, I pray that you would send your power in this place as we talk about forgiveness. Would you help to convict us so that we might be a more forgiving people? And God, now I've just asked that you would transform my words. Anything that I would say would, would not be worth anything. But God, I know that through your spirit, you can transform things so that people um, are able to grow closer to you. And God, that's what we pray right now. God, we do this uh, so that your name would be made great. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, children love Christmas. They love to open up presents. They love to actually, uh, you know, go and um, move and, and have uh, a real sense of what that's all about. And they enjoy going to Grandma's house. They enjoy uh, being on Santa's lap. Uh, my two girls recently um, have a particular uh, kind of thing that they're into. Uh, anybody know who this is? Yeah, Elf on the Shelf. And uh, recently, uh, they have been way into this. And our Elf on the Shelf is named Chuck, because it kind of looks similar to Chuck. Um, And uh, anyway, if you don't know who that is, the guy who runs our Celebrate Recovery on Thursday, so if you have a hurt habit or hang-up, he looks kind of like that. That may choose for you not to go whatsoever to Celebrate Recovery now. Um... But anyways, our kids love to go try to find uh, this elf every single day. And his name actually is Michael. The thing they didn't tell me was how much of a difficult time that was going to be on parents uh, to try to have to find a different location each time uh, for that. So that was tough. But I was thinking about it that Christmas really is... A time in which children are filled with excitement. And unfortunately, what happens is as we grow up, we kind of lose some of that excitement of Christmas. And what we do is we um, have some pain that hits our life. Something strikes in such a way. And the joy and the excitement of Christmas isn't there. And actually, Christmas can be much more difficult. For example, uh, if you have a blended family 
Just think of the logistical things of just trying to get to all of the Christmas places. I mean, it's a pain in the rear end to actually have to go to eight different places in 24 hours, right? And every time you go to the next place, when you're getting ready to leave, they're like, you're leaving already? Why are you leaving? I mean, you just got here. And all of a sudden, the guilt and the shame just like, you know, attacks you. And you're like, ah, seriously, you got more time than anyone else. Why are you complaining? Um, But we have that sense of doing that. Another way to introduce some pain into the holidays is to have an unexpected death. Somebody last year was sitting around your Christmas table. And this year... There's an empty chair. And you go through a very difficult kind of struggle because of that. Or think of uh, some harsh words that you've said this year. Or some misunderstandings that you've had with people. And then you choose, like a lot of people, then to say, you know what? I'm just not about celebrating. I'm just trying to survive Christmas. I'm just trying to make it through the holidays. And a lot of people, what they do is when they go to the family Christmas stuff, their whole goal is just to be casual about let's not say anything rude to anybody else. And let's hope and pray to God that no one says anything rude to us. And then when we get in the car and we're driving home, we can talk about how everybody else is messed up and we got it all together. True? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you need to be that excited about it, um, but, you know, whatever. Um, And uh, then you throw in the whole factor of the psycho factor. Um, I don't know where it's actually at in the Old Testament, but I've heard that there is like a principle in the Old Testament in which Satan places one psycho person in every family. One person in every family is there, and they are a high-maintenance, a uh, you know hard-to-deal-with lunatic kind of personality that's in your family. And every family has at least one. And there is one person who is always stirring the pot. They always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. They always do the wrong thing at the wrong time. And simply put, they're just a royal pain in your backside, but they're family, so they have to be there. Now, just to make sure that I can prove this concept, that every family does have at least one psycho in your family. If you have a psycho in your family, please raise your hand, okay? Everybody just raise your hand, raise it up high, don't put it down yet, leave it up. Just leave it up. Leave it as high as you can. Okay, just leave it up. Leave it up. Now, I want you to look around at everybody who doesn't have their hand up, okay? And guess who they are? Yeah. See, look, some people don't want to take their hand down, right? See, when I do these hand things, most of you are like thinking, oh, geez, I'm not going to do that. But sometimes, you know, it works to your advantage uh, to do that. Now, just so that you understand what this whole concept of pain that happens from our family and how it affects us, I want us to look at a story this morning about a guy named Joseph. Joseph's story is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. He's in the very first book of the Bible, and his story is in Genesis chapter 37. And it goes through that whole time. So Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. And I'd encourage you to read it this week and you could connect with that. But for our purposes this morning, what I'm going to do is kind of tell you Joseph's story and then talk about how he went from pain and hurt to actually a path of forgiveness. Joseph's story begins when he's 17 years old and he's a shepherd. He's out looking at sheep all the time. And God actually starts speaking to him and gives him visions and dreams. And so he's so excited about it, he goes to his brothers and he's like, Hey, 
is God talking to you? And they're like, uh, no. He's like, well, he's talking to me. I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff. I'm going to be an amazing person. God's going to do this and God's going to do that. And I've got all this kind of stuff that God's going to do in my life. And I guess it sucks to be you. But just let me, you know, let me tell you about all the stuff that he's doing in my life. And naturally, if you're a sibling and someone's telling you how great they are, they're like, you little cocky little, you know, and all, all of a sudden they're ready to like take him out because he's got this attitude now and they just can't handle it. But one day they've had it and they actually take him and they sell him into slavery. And uh, the first thought was they, they were going to actually kill him. And all the brothers got together. They were going to kill him. They were going to throw him into a pit and let him die. But there was one nice brother that was like, hey, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's actually sell him into slavery to somebody else. And his name was Judah. And here we see a man's life, a man who had honored God just starting to spiral down because of some of the pain and hurt that his family had caused him. And it was such a horrible kind of thing that it got even worse for him. He not only was now a slave, but his boss, his boss's wife actually said that uh, he was trying to hit on his wife and had sex with her. And so he actually got thrown into prison. So now he's not only, you know, sold into slavery, but now he's in prison and he spiraled just about as low as you can go. But even though outwardly, it was spiraling out of control. Inwardly, God was doing something great. God was taking him, taking him and positioning him around the right people at the right places at the right time. And eventually, he went from being a prison dweller to actually being the second highest person in all of Egypt. He was like the vice president of Egypt. And God was doing amazing things, even though he was in a foreign country. And eventually, he's elevated to this place. But one day, all of the brothers come back to him because there's this horrible famine. And they come back for food. And they don't know that it's him because he has changed his appearance somewhat. And they all come and they stand right in front of him. And we're going to look at how these betrayed brothers, how Joseph receives them. So looking in chapter 45, verse 1, the Bible says this. Joseph sees his brothers, the ones who had sold him into slavery for the very first time. And this is what it says. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. He's out of control. Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. In other words, he sees these brothers who have betrayed him, sold him into slavery, and he just can't handle it. And he's like, Everybody, just get away from me. Get out. I want to be by myself. Everyone leave me alone. So, the Bible says, there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Then check this out. And Joseph wept so loudly. I mean, think about it. Betrayal, rejection, pain, hurt. It's all in the midst of him. And he weeps so loudly. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household, household heard about it. This guy is behind closed doors. And he's struggling with the fact that these guys now that are standing in front of me, the ones who rejected me, who had all this hurt towards me, are in front of me. And all of this pours out of his body. And let's be honest. Some of you have been there before. Some of you have had a family member turn on you, talk about you, put you down, and you've had that horrible experience of going through that kind of betrayal. And maybe for some of you, it's not something that's just happened in the past, but it's happening right now, right in this moment. Many of us, if we had to deal face-to-face with the person who caused so much pain, we might be just like Joseph, and we would just weep because of the pain that they caused us. 
I mean, if you had to face your father or you had to face your mother or your brother or your sister or a child who's been estranged from you. But if that person in your family you had to confront, you might be just like Joseph and you would begin to weep. And the sad thing is, is that it's easy for us, though, to not try to resolve this or reconcile that. But we just continue into a cycle of more hurt. Someone once said that hurt people hurt people. And when we hurt people, oftentimes what happens is that we don't try to make it right. We just continue the unhealthy psycho uh, scenario and we recycle the pain again and again. Last Sunday, uh, my two girls and I, we went to my parents' house to watch the Colts game. And my two girls who are eight and six, uh, they're not as big into watching football as I am. And so they decided that they were going to go to the guest room and they were going to watch some old Charlie Brown movies, including a Charlie Brown Christmas. And they don't really call it the guest room. They call it their room because uh, they think they own it. And uh, we're watching the football game. And all of a sudden I hear this thud in the other room and my youngest daughter Shiloh comes out and she's got tears but they're fake tears you know what I mean like if you're a parent there's sometimes when they're really hurt and there's sometimes when they just want to take and just kill their sibling and try to get them in trouble you know what I mean and so Shiloh comes up and she's like daddy Jordan kicked me off the bed I said really I said, well, how did that happen? Well, we were acting like all of the Charlie Brown characters and we were wrestling around with each other. And then all of a sudden, Jordan just kicked me off the bed. Well, about that time, the defense attorney, Jordan, comes in, you know, and uh, she's going to defend what really happened. And she says, Dad, I want you to know, I told her I didn't want to play this anymore. I didn't think it was right for us to be playing on the bed like that. And my leg accidentally pushed her over. So at that point, I'm like, okay, you guys can handle this yourselves. Deal with it, you know? And so I go, go ahead, you know, I think you can handle it. And Shiloh's like, but daddy, you don't understand. I've been hurt. And then they walked around the corner and they started laughing at each other. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And they went right back on the bed and they started doing their own thing. This is what the point is. How many times in your family when hurt comes, and someone gets hurt, that you just go right back and you do it again and again and again and again. And you choose not to make things right. You choose not to reconcile what it is, but you go right back into that cycle of hurt that you do again and again and again. So let me ask you this question this morning. What do you do when you get hurt? What do you do when you get betrayed? What do you do? Well, today I want to talk about three biblical concepts, choices that you have to make. They're not feelings. Our our feelings will lie to us. But these are choices that you have to make. And they're not things that you'll want to do because our feelings are going to tell us no. For example, when someone hurts you, and they hurt you badly, immediately you don't go, oh, I forgive you, I just love you, I'm just so full of Jesus this Christmas, it really doesn't matter to me. No, no, no. So what happens? You probably think, I feel like break, uh, I feel like knocking the snot out of them right now, you know? You want to get back at that person. But we're not going to do that, even though that's what our feelings tell us. We're not going to do that because we want to make a better choice. We want to make the choice that God calls us to do in his word. So here's the first choice that you make when you're hurt. The first choice is that you pray. When we have been hurt, we are going to choose to pray. To pray. Now, the greatest example of the ability to forgive people who hurt him was the example of Jesus himself. 
Jesus, when he's first born, within just a short period of time, the king, King Herod, actually wants to kill him. And throughout his whole life, there are constantly claims on his life. Even to the point where he is finally arrested and people want to take him out. Now you might say, well, your enemies, yeah, that makes natural sense for them to go off on you. But what about your friends? Jesus had a friend named Judas, one of his best friends, who actually betrayed him and did it in such a way that it was so intimate that he came and he kissed him on his cheek as he betrayed him into the hands of the enemies. And in his darkest hour, in that moment in which he's uh, being nailed to a cross and he's being skinned alive, literally, that's what flogging meant. They would actually uh, whip the person and it would get into the skin and it would pull the skin off. That in the midst of this, he took 39 lashes, 40 killed somebody. He took it all on himself and no one tried to stop it at all. They all walked away. They all left him alone. And these were his closest friends that did that to him. So what did Jesus do? What's very interesting in Luke chapter uh, 23, verse 34, as he's hanging on a cross, Jesus said these words. Jesus said he prayed He actually prays. He's on the cross. He's taking all this on. And he prays for the people who've done this and even those who were closest to him. Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And that's what Jesus prayed. So when you get hurt, when you get pushed down, even though you don't feel like it, what are you going to do? You're going to pray. Now, what do you pray? Well, a lot of times what people will pray is something like this. God, knock them out, strike them dead, give them hemorrhoids, you know? <laughs> and I just don't mean any kind of hemorrhoids. I mean the ones that they got to physically go in there and take out. You know what I mean? Like bad stuff. No, 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 no. That's not what you pray, okay? That is not what you pray. This is what you pray. The first thing that you pray for is this. You pray that they would be healed from their hurt. That you pray for God to heal their hurt. If they're hurting other people, this is what you should always know. If you see someone who's hurting someone else, they've been hurt themselves. It's always that way. They've already been hurt. So we're going to ask God to do a healing work in their hurt. The next thing we're going to pray for is this. Pray for God to forgive them. Pray for God to forgive them, that they actually repent, that we talked about that word before. Re means at the lowest level, the lowest sin. Pent is like a penthouse, the highest place, the highest level, which is God's ways, that we want people to actually move from lower ways to God's ways, that they would turn to Christ and in doing so, that God would be able to forgive them. And then the last thing you do, which is very, very difficult, it's very difficult to do, but this, that we're going to actually ask for God to bless them. We're going to pray for God to bless them. Now, here's the thing about this kind of three-point process, is when you're praying like that, when when you're really praying that way, you might not affect the other person But if you pray like that, who's going to be affected? You are. You are going to be changed. You're going to be affected. You cannot pray for someone without God doing a work in your own heart. That's why I think Jesus gave these very challenging words when he said this. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So the first thing we're going to do is we're actually going to make a choice to pray for someone else. The second thing, which is even more difficult, but we're going to make the right choice and do it anyway, is we're going to forgive. We're going to choose to forgive. We choose to pray for the person. And secondly, we're going to choose to forgive. Now, you might say, well, why is that important? Well, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, he says these words. 
if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And you're like, yes! God's going to forgive me no matter what, no matter what I do. If I ask forgiveness, he's going to do it. But then he says this, but if you, what's the next word? If you what? If you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sin. Now that's a very sobering verse. If you don't forgive the sins of other people, the things that they've done against you, then your father cannot forgive you. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this before. Maybe in high school or college, you, you go to uh, the registrar and you actually have to sign up for classes. Now I guess you do it all online and everything's done. But you go online and you register for things. And there's two types of classes, right? There's required classes and then what's the other one? Elective classes. Forgiveness in Christianity, folks, is not an elective. It's a required class. It's required all the time if you're going to be a follower of Christ. It's required every single day. And I don't know about you, but I can forgive somebody one time, but it becomes much more difficult to forgive them a second time. And those times I'm like, well, I forgave you once, but if you do it again, I mean, I'm going to defriend you on Facebook. Let me show that. And I'm going to talk about them to other people. I'm going to do a worldwide text to everybody. And I'm going to take them out of my will. They will no longer be a part of that. All that kind of stuff. Well, I think Jesus knew that you and I would have a temptation to think that we only had to forgive people once. So one day, Jesus has this encounter with a guy named Peter who is one of his closest friends. And in the midst of this conversation, this is how it goes. Peter comes to him kind of self-righteously, and he says this. Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And I think Peter's kind of like, aren't you impressed? I mean, Jesus. Like, look at this. I didn't say one time or two times or three times or four times. I said seven times. Aren't you impressed by this? Look what Jesus said. No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. Now, before you try to figure out that, it's 490 times, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying here, okay? You can't get to 491 and then go, whoop, got my quota. I'm good. That's what Jesus said. He used it to talk about, uh, in a general terms, that forgiveness should be continual. There should never be a moment that you don't forgive. Forgiveness is a gift. It's a gift to someone who doesn't deserve it, just like you don't. Jesus was talking about it's constantly going on. It must happen again and again and again. Several, several years ago, in just the first few years of the church... Uh, there was a woman and a family that uh, started attending our church. And uh, she was a very gifted person, uh, great communicator, good musician, all this kind of stuff. And uh, she had some great leadership potential. And I started investing uh, in her life uh, quite a bit. And uh, before long, I started hearing through the grapevine, people were like, man, she's a gossip. And I'd never really experienced that myself. I'd never heard that. Uh, but other people would say something. I was just like, ah, eh, you know, I'm not going to be a part of your gossip. Stop gossiping. Go talk to her. So several people tried to confront her in a different ways, but nothing really worked. And finally, someone came up to me and said, um, this person is talking badly about your wife. Well, I don't know about you, but you can talk about me all you want. You can put my name through the ringer. You can say whatever. But you start talking about my wife or my kids, you know, and it's like dukes are up. But I just kept sensing that God was saying, no, 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 no. You've got to put this aside. You've got to put this aside. Forgive. Forgive. And so I did and I did and I did until one day I was asked to go and try to actually uh, meet with she and her husband one-on-one -on -one in their home. And I thought it was because of some of the things that had happened with me and some of the things that were going on in the church. And I thought we were going to reconcile those things and things would be fine. 
And in the midst of this entire conversation, it became a gripe session about my wife. Everything that was wrong with her. Now, if someone's going to gripe about my wife, it's going to be me, you know? I don't need someone else to do that. I got enough on my own. But they just kept going over and over. And each time there would be something critical, I would just say, you know, God, I know I need to forgive. I'd really like to go off right now, but I need to forgive. And I went through that and went through that and went through that. Well, the gripe session finally ended and I left their house. And within just a matter of weeks, they left the church and they went out and they talked about me in other ways and uh, put my name through the ringer. Now, this is the thing that I've learned in the 11 years I've been the pastor at the jar. Muncie is not as big as you think it is. You ever notice that? It's just not as big as you think it is. And since that time, there have been several times where this person and the family, I would see them out. And, uh, you know, immediately I would go right back to that moment when I was at their house and they were like ripping on my wife and bitterness and resentment. I just wanted to go off and it would all be there. And then, you know, I'd do the pastor thing and be like, well, you got to forgive, Chris, you got to forgive. And then the next time I'd see them, it would just like all come back and just come to me again and just kept building and building and building each time that I would see them several times over several years. And one time I was at a Christian concert. There were multiple bands that were up uh, kind of playing. And this one band got up and got ready to start playing. And I had my head down and then I looked up and she was actually, guess who was on the stage? Her. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit said, Chris, you've got to let this go now. And in that moment, I just remember thinking to myself, God, how can I do that? I can't do that on my own. She said some painful, hurtful things. He said, release her to me and forgive all. And I remember just having that image of almost like releasing and then moving towards to an attitude of what forgiveness looked like. And in that time, what's interesting is that four weeks ago, when I started preparing for this whole series on forgiveness, I pulled up to a stoplight and I looked to my right and guess who's in the car? And a week later, I go to Puerto Vallarta with my family and I look over and guess who I saw? But this was the difference, folks. Both times I saw them, I didn't have bitterness. I didn't have resentment. You know what came to my mind? An equation. 70 times 7. 70 times 7. Each time that that happens, I release the person to God. Folks, every time you remember your hurt, every time you remember what another person did to you, you're going to have to release that to God and forgive the person. You don't forget it, but you say, I release this to the person. So you remember it, you release it. I remember it, but I release it to God. You keep saying over and over and over again, each time that memory comes or that person's face comes to mind, God, once again, I release it to you and I forgive you. And sometimes it might be the hundredth time, but this is the point, folks. It's not that you don't feel uncomfortable or you feel like, oh, it feels very weird. But this is the thing. You don't hold on to that bitterness and resentment and allow it to fester. You immediately, when Satan wants to try to do that to you, you immediately say, nope, I'm giving it to God. I'm releasing it and I'm forgiving the other person for whatever they did to me. Folks, when people hurt you, when people hurt the people who are closest to you, you're not always going to feel like forgiving them. That's why what I'm asking you today is not about doing it at a feeling level. I'm asking you to do it at a choice level, that you actually choose to do these three things. The third thing is this. And it may sound crazy. If you're not a Christ follower, we're glad you're here. We want everyone who's not a Christ follower to be here. But if you're not this last one, it is whack. Wiggity, wiggity, whack. Jesus said this. We choose to bless them. Not only do we pray for them, not only do we forgive them, but we finally actually then say, I want what's best for them. I want them to be blessed. 
Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament and was considered one of Jesus' closest followers, this is what he said. Do not take revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Paul said. Look what Jesus said. Let's read this one out loud together. Let's read out loud. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. What do we do? We bless. We choose to pray. We choose to forgive. And then we choose to bless. Now, inevitably, anyone that I'm talking to in a group of people this size uh, will kind of have this response. If if you've had a lot of pain and hurt in your life, you're like, Okay, preacher boy, whoop-dee-doo, a couple people don't like you. That's the story of every day of my life. You want to talk about some of the pain and hurt that's happened in my life, you don't even come close to that. And I get that. I'm not saying that a person talking about my wife or talking about me or hurting us in those ways, that that's the greatest pain that's in this gymnasium today. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that I live in the same sin-filled world that you live in. And I face the pain and hurt of what other people cause me all the time. Maybe not as intense as what some of you have gone through, but I face pain. I've had people steal from me. I've had them deceive me. I've had them lie to me. I've had them actually take my name and run it through the ringer. I've actually given money to friends that they said, oh, I just need to borrow some and I'll pay you right back. And large amounts of money that were never paid back to me. I've been cheated in business deals. I've had people question my faith, question that whether or not I'm even worthy of being a pastor who could stand on a stage. And from all these situations, this is what I've learned. That when people do this to me, I immediately have to go, I release it to you, God. I can hold it for myself and I can keep it tight or I can release it to you and I can forgive the other person. You know the day that I saw the woman in Puerto Vallarta restaurant just a couple of weeks ago? When I walked from my table, I literally prayed God's blessing on her life. Because I do. I want her life to be blessed. I want her marriage to be blessed. I want her family to be to be blessed. I really do want that for them. Now, I've had some acts of forgiveness in my life, but honestly, that is very, very small compared to some of the powerful acts of forgiveness that I've seen in this church. During our baptism class, one of the questions that we ask, I hope many of you might consider taking it today, but one of the questions we ask is this, name one person who has hurt you that you have never fully forgiven. And most people are like, I can name more than one. Give me a whole big old register list. I'll just start taking it down. I can give you a lot more than one. But then we have a challenge, and this is the challenge. I commit to forgiving this person before my baptism, if at all possible. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting the hurt or fully trusting the person. Rather, it means that being a follower of Christ requires me to forgive so that I can be used by God in powerful ways. Forgiveness means letting the person off so that I'm no longer chained to resentment and bitterness. And then people are like, whoa, like you're serious about this forgiveness stuff. And I'm like, I'm just not serious. The reason I'm serious is because Jesus was like really, really serious on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And some of the people who have shared stories during that class has been amazing. There's one guy who has a daughter who has used him, who has taken money from him, stolen from him, has uh, tried to hold back the grandchildren so that they can't see them. And I remember when he got baptized, he, he released all of that, all the bitterness, all the anger, and there was reconciliation. I think of a woman who was in the first celebration before any of you uh, were probably up this morning, actually. And uh, 
She came to our very first baptism several years ago class, and then she didn't come to the second class. And I called her and I said, well, why didn't you come to the second class? She said, I can't forgive the person that God wants me to forgive. And so about a year goes by because I told her, I said, well, that's fine. Don't just do it to do it. I mean, if you can't do it, then, you know, give it a while. So a year goes by and she comes back and she says, I can do it now. And I said, well, tell me about the story. And she, this is what she told me. Her son was addicted to heroin. And one day he OD'd. And the girlfriend, which was the person that she wanted, that she felt like God was calling her to forgive, never called the ambulance and left him there to die all by himself. And she said, I just couldn't forgive her. And I said, well, what changed? She said, the more that Jesus got in me, the more I was able to forgive. And she goes, actually, what I want is for her to not continue on that path. And she forgave her. I just talked to her this morning. She said she's doing really well. She's off heroin. And this lady now is working with a group of heroin addicts in Daleville trying to show God's love to them. Folks, that's the power of what Christ-like forgiveness does. I think of another woman who was physically and sexually abused by her father. Hadn't talked to her for years and years, or hadn't talked to him for years and years and years. And uh, she said, I can't call him. I can't write him. I said, well, do you have his number? She's like, yeah. I said, "Do, do you think he has a voicemail? She's like, yeah, he works during the day. I said, why don't you call then? And she called And she forgave him. And it was like this resentment and bitterness when she got baptized. It was totally gone. didn't mean that they got together and everything was perfect. But she forgave. I think of people in our church who who their person has been someone who's already died. And several people have actually written out a letter. And they go to the grave. And they get on their knees and they're like, I'm forgiving you. I'm literally forgiving you now. And that's why for me, some of the most amazing stories of forgiveness have happened by people in this church. Because more than any other church I've been a part of, this is the most forgiving church I've ever been. Colossians 3.13 says this. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's read this one out loud together. All of us together. Bear each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How do you forgive? How? As the Lord forgave you. How do you forgive? I forgive as the Lord forgave me. You see, folks, this is what happens. When I turn my back away from those people who have offended me, and I start looking and focusing on my sin and all the things that I've done to hurt people, to deceive people, to lie to people, to ignore God, to walk away from God. When I start piling that up and that pile gets real high and it gets all the way to the ceiling and it's like, bunch, I haven't even started with your sin yet. And then he like goes beyond that and he goes all the way up into heaven about all the sin that I've had in my life. And then all of a sudden he says, you ask for forgiveness? Yeah, God, I do. Then it's like he takes his foot and he stomps it down all the way back to planet earth. And he says, it's a clean slate. You're forgiven. You're totally doing that. Now, this is what happens, folks. When I start focusing on all of the sin in my life, when I turn around and I look at this small little thing that somebody else did to me, or maybe it's a bigger thing, or maybe it's up there. But when I look all the way to heaven and I think about what he did for me, then I can't help But look to see that I've got to forgive this person. You see, folks, you don't forgive because they deserve it. You forgive because you didn't deserve it. And you turn around to forgive them. So here's the question. Who do you need to forgive? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. Who do you need to forgive? If you would, I'd like you to pull out a card that was in your program. Uh, it looks like this. If you didn't have one, just raise your hand. Uh, this is really important, so if you didn't get one, don't feel bad. One of our uh, greeters uh, will pass that out to you. Um, but just raise your hand. And this is what I would like you to do is to 
answer this question. At the very top of this card, it says Christmas is forgiving. What one person who is hurt, what one person who has hurt me have I never fully forgiven? What one person who's hurt you have you never fully forgiven? And then you make this commitment. Between now and Christmas, I'm going to do it. Like, well, how do I do that? Well, you don't do it on Facebook, okay? You don't go, ah, you screwed me up. Hey, forgive you. Send. You don't do it by text. You don't do it on your little Twitter account. Hey, everyone, today I want you to know, this woman, I'm forgiving. No, no, no. Maybe you pick up the phone and you call them if that's safe. If it's real difficult, you write to them. You write a letter. For others of you, maybe you can meet them face to face and you can do the forgiveness thing that way. Maybe you have to go to a graveside and actually write it out and forgive that person who hurt you or offended you. I don't know who it is, but I'm going to give you a moment right now to ask God who it is. We're going to turn off the lights right now so that no one's looking at someone else's sheet and, you know, who it is. But I want to give you a moment for you to close your eyes and say, God, who is it? Who in, someone in my family, an old friend, whoever it is, that you'd take a moment right now and you'd write down a name. Don't write your own name down. People do that sometimes too. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. So if you haven't forgiven yourself, today's not the day. We'll talk about it in two weeks. But right now, who's hurt you that you've never fully forgiven? I was thinking about it this morning in my prayer time. What would it look like if every single person in this gym actually took the name of the person that's on the card and you forgave them? Like, what would that do to your life? What would that do to your family? What would that do to our church? What kind of impact would it look like if the jar became the most forgiving church that we can be around Christmas. Just think about the impact that would make. You know, there is something that happens that's pretty powerful on the other side of forgiveness when you choose to forgive. And Joseph, the guy that we talked about at the very beginning of the teaching, on the other side of forgiveness for him was something pretty cool. After Jesus, or after Joseph forgave his brothers, something happened that was amazing that a lot of people don't look at. And what happened was the entire nation of Israel began because of an act of forgiveness. And how do we know that? Because when you get to Jesus' story of the lineage of his birth in Matthew chapter 1, this is what it says. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Who was one of Judah's brothers? In case you don't know, it was Joseph. And one of his brothers then becomes a part of the lineage of the Messiah of the world. And it all began 
with this act of forgiveness. And Joseph's story totally turned around and one page closed and another one opened. And in verse 8 in chapter 45, it says this. So then Joseph said to his brothers, It was not you who sent me here to Egypt, but it was God. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And then Joseph kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. What was on the other side of forgiveness for Joseph? It was a miracle. And my prayer is that as you forgive that person, you'll experience your miracle as well. Let's stand for closing prayer. I'm going to invite our uh, prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. Maybe for some of you, you need some strength right now to actually forgive the other person. And so uh, they, they'll pray with you. They'll encourage you to help you through that. Tom and Cindy will be up here. They'd love to pray with any of you uh, with that. Um, I'm going to lead us through a corporate prayer right now. And I would invite you to just kind of repeat after me these words. So I'm going to say some words that are they're your prayer, but it's simply a prayer of forgiveness. Let's pray. Jesus, I don't want to hold a grudge toward the person who's on this card. I want to let go of my bitterness and resentment. Thank you for all the times you have forgiven me, even when I didn't deserve it. God, help me now to forgive the person on this card by Christmas. Give me your power to do so. Give me your strength to do so. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you need prayer for anything, these folks would love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.